So Colossians chapter 3, and beginning to read at first one. This is God's word to us. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and when for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger and rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, that the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And to be thankful, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another, and with all wisdom as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Well, let's uh, take up our Bibles again and turn uh, this time to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read uh, the uh, Matthew an account uh, of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6 from verse 9. It's page 970. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, of course. And we are, as John said, thinking about the, uh, the petition, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Or forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven those who sin against us. So, Matthew chapter 6, page 970, if you've got one of the Pew Bibles, verse 9, this is God's Word. This then, uh, Jesus is speaking, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Amen.
forgiveness. What a crucial, crucial subject. Jim Packer says, Christians live through forgiveness. And of course, he's absolutely right. The basic message of the gospel is that forgiveness from God is both necessary and possible. When Peter preached his sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The New Testament church is launched with the message of forgiveness of sins. When Jesus did his, his first miracle recorded in Mark, what does he do? He heals the paralyzed man who is let down through uh, the roof as he is speaking. And you know that the, the setting there is that everybody is expecting Jesus to do something for this man, presumably meet his greatest need. And, and to those who are gathered, the, the greatest thing that they think that Jesus can do for him is have him walk. And yet the very first thing that Jesus says to him is, son, your sins are forgiven. As if to say, more important than being able to walk is the fact that your sins are forgiven, that forgiveness has been found by you. This is our most basic need. As Packer says, the Christian lives through forgiveness. And when Jesus gives us this prayer to pray, he keeps forgiveness right in front of us by having us say, as we sometimes say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And that's what we're looking at tonight as we look at this fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Just a word, if you're, you're here for the first time, uh, the, the disciples about this prayer, of course, the disciples had been with Jesus for uh, three years, uh, and somewhere during this time, they, they saw his, his character and his consistency so clearly, and they came to him, and one of them said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And they saw, of course, that, that prayer was crucial to Jesus. They, they saw that he would often withdraw and pray long into the night and through the night indeed. And in response, Jesus gives them and us this prayer. And this prayer is both helpful to say from time to time. We, we do that from time to time together. But it is also a model prayer in that it sort of bullet points, it gives us headings into which our prayers then ought to fall. And in doing so, of course, it corrects much of where we tend to go wrong in prayer because we often come to God with just shopping lists of our needs. Really, we're sort of worrying out loud to God. And here, God takes us and shapes our prayers according to His template. Why should we think that how we feel we should pray to God should ever trump how God says we should pray to God? And here, God tells us how we should pray to God. And you see that, that he and uh, uh, his concerns are right at the beginning uh, so that we reorientate ourselves to the, the great concerns of God and his kingdom within the world. And Jesus, in giving us this, effectively says to us that as his people, forgiveness ought to be firmly on our agenda. 
In the Bible, uh, sin is described in lots and lots of ways and described as breaking of God's laws, uh, which is sometimes what the idea of transgressions or trespasses uh, uh, tends to, to bring up, uh, rebelling against God, coming short of the target, and so on. But, but here, the sins in the Lord's Prayer, there's a different word used in Matthew and in Luke uh, for sins here, but both have that sense of unpaid debt, Uh, that sense that we have a debt that needs to be paid to God. Jesus has in mind the debt that we owe to God. Packer says this, Jesus' thought is that we owe God total tireless loyalty, zealous love for God and men all day, every day on the pattern of Jesus' own, and our sin is basically failure to pay. Now, if we just think of sins as things that we do wrong, then we will possibly think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Because we sin not only by commission, but also by omission. So we we teach the boys and girls at the Holiday Bible Club this week, sin is the bad things that we think and say and do. It's the good things that we don't do. It's saying no to God and going our way and not His. So it's both the things that we do wrong and also the, the way in which we fall short of God's standards. And when we see how far short of Jesus' calling we fall, as we are called to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and our neighbor as ourselves, we start to realize something of the great debt that we owe to God. And of course, it is a debt that we are entirely incapable of paying. Not only the debt, of course, of the sins of omission, but also the debt that is then incurred by the things that we actually do wrong as well. Our only hope, therefore, is to to seek God's mercy. Our only hope is to have from Him the forgiveness that He offers. Now, you can see in in this petition there are two sorts of forgivenesses that are spoken to, spoken about. There, there's the asking of forgiveness uh, from God, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, and there is then a reference to us forgiving others as we have forgiven those who sin against us. In other words, there is the person who is asking to be forgiven, and there is the fact that that person is also to be forgiving So there's the basic thrust, I suppose, of of what we're saying as we think about this petition tonight, that forgiven people are to be forgiving people. Forgiven people are to be forgiving people. Well, let's think about the first part of that, first of all, asking for forgiveness. Now, one of the questions that sometimes we might have is why do we need to be forgiven again as Christians, because if Jesus has already forgiven us entirely when we are converted, why do we need to ask for forgiveness again? Now, that's a, that's a, this is also, a, this is of course a, a prayer for Christians. It begins, our Father, only a believer, can come to talk to God as Father. But as Christians, isn't it the case that our justification, our right standing with God, it covers our, 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 our sins past, present, and future. And of course, it is. It, it, it is the verdict that we long for at the end of our lives given to us now, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. 
And that verdict does mean that our sin, past, present, and future is paid for. So why does Jesus tell us to keep on asking for forgiveness of sins? Well, this is the forgiveness that the Christian needs as for the sins that they commit and omit as Christians. Again, Packer says this, the Lord's Prayer is the family prayer in which God's adopted children address their father. And, through their daily, and though their daily failures do not overthrow their justification, things will not be right between them and their father till they have said sorry. So you, you might remember, for example, that in John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And there is a point in that story where Peter refuses to have Jesus wash his feet. It's a scandalous thing for Jesus to do. He says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus turns to him and says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, Peter uh, turns completely at that point, and he says, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Wash me all, he's saying. And Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. Now, can you see? Jesus is implying that the disciples who are there have been entirely forgiven. They've been justified. They've been washed clean. But they still need their feet washed. They still need to be cleaned up from time to time as they go through their lives. There is an entire washing that Jesus does for us as we become Christians. We're entirely forgiven, sins of past, present, and future. We are justified, but we continue to sin. We are, as Luther said, at the same time, righteous but sinners. And we know this in our experience. And it's this sin that needs to be forgiven because it affects the relationship we have with our heavenly Father, the one that we've already addressed in the Lord's Prayer is our Father. And as soon as we realize that we have offended him or grieved him or sinned against him, then we confess it and we seek the assurance that John brings to us in his first letter where he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and uh, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we're, we're going to move on for, in, in a moment to the other part of this petition. But, but let's just linger here for a moment. Because confession of sin was something that Christians of previous generations used to think lots about. And our generation tends to think little about. And we've, we've probably got into that position because we've just listened to the world. We've, we've allowed the, the ideas of the world that, that, that sin is a distasteful thing to talk about, that really there isn't such a thing as sin. It all sort of depends upon your point of view. That, that sort of has soaked into us a little bit, hasn't it? But Jesus puts this before us when he says, this is how you should pray, forgive us our sins. And you remember who this is. This is Jesus. He, he, he knows what is best for us. And, and what is best for us is a facing up to our sin and a confession of it. So he is, he's not out to psychologically damage us. 
The world would say that. He wants us to be free and to enjoy the, sm the smile of our heavenly Father at all times. And so he says to us, here is health. Confess your sins. Now, sometimes whenever there is sin in our lives as Christians, it's the last thing we feel like doing, isn't it? But it is what we need to do. I remember when I was a, a student finding the, the, the memoirs and remains of Robert Murray McShane. I don't think they were actually the remains of Robert Murray McShane, but they were, they were a book that, that, that told about the, the memoirs of Robert Murray McShane. It was a, a book that had a, a great impact upon me. This was one of the things that I read. Robert Murray McShane said this, I feel when I have sinned, an immediate reluctance to go to Christ. I'm ashamed to go. I feel as if it would do no good to go, as if it were making Christ a minister of sin, to go straight from the swine trough to the best robe and a thousand other excuses, but I am persuaded that they are all lies direct from hell. John argues the other way. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I am sure there is neither peace nor safety from deeper sin, but in going directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's way of peace and holiness. It is folly to the world and the beclouded heart, but it is the way. And so can I say to you, brother, sister, unconfessed sin does not go away with time or with inattention or with rationalization. It goes with confession. Therein is freedom. What, what about the other part of this petition? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Well, this has caused many questions, hasn't it? Let's note that this prayer assumes that we will be sinned against because the reality is we live in a fallen world in which we sin and in which we are sinned against. We will hurt other people and other people will hurt us. So if you are a snowflake, you are in trouble. The Bible expects us to be expecting to be sinned against. And when that happens, God has a remedy, and it is for us to forgive. It may not seem like a remedy, but it is His remedy. Jesus clearly draws a link between our forgiveness of others and God's forgiveness of us, and this is deeply uncomfortable. And Jesus knew it would be so, and so in Matthew, he chooses to expand this a little or underline it a little, verse 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's almost as if he's saying, yes, you heard me right, and I'm going to say it again in a little bit clearer. It's the only part of the, the Lord's Prayer with a, a condition. Augustine a, a called this a, a, a terrible petition because of this link between God's forgiveness and the forgiveness of others. It's terrible in that sense that it really puts us under incredible pressure. 
But of course, we need to understand this in the context of all that the New Testament teaches. It is not that our forgiveness of others earns God's forgiveness of us. That would be to entirely fly in the face of everything that the Bible says. In that case, of course, no one would be saved. No, it is forgive us our sins as we have forgiven, not because we have forgiven. Not so long ago, we, we looked at the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 18. You know the story, a great king cancels a debt of a servant. He owes the king millions of pounds. There's absolutely no way he'll ever be able to pay it back. And the king generously, graciously wipes that debt out. But on his way out of the audience with the king, the servant meets a man who owes him a few pounds. And he takes him by the throat and insists that he pays it. And the king hears about this, he's outraged, and he punishes the servant terribly. And the point, of course, is that he who has been forgiven must forgive. If the generosity of God in forgiving us our many sins has touched our hearts, it will make us forgiving people. That's the logic of the Scriptures. The Heidelberg Catechism paraphrases this part of the Lord's Prayer by saying this, forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. The shorter catechism, as it gives the answer, it gives us encouragement as we find ourselves to be able to forgive others. It, finds us, it gives us encouragement to be able to approach God and ask for forgiveness of our sins. So you see, if we are really withholding forgiveness, it is therefore questioning the reality of God's work within our hearts. It is asking, are we genuine believers at all? This is one of those gracious tests that the Lord allows to help us be sure that we are in the faith. Genuinely forgiven people will be forgiving people. God forgives the infinite debt of your sin and mine, and now we must forgive the sins of those who sin against us. Otherwise, we indicate that we have never really understood or received God's forgiveness in the first place. Now, I, I know how hard this is. This is not a warning to the person who struggles with forgiveness. The person who says, I really want to forgive them for what they have done. And sometimes I think I have, and I ask the Lord to help me, but sometimes those images and that memory comes back again and again. This is, this is not a word to those who struggle. Nor is it a word to the person who's just been sinned against in some terrible way that has left them reeling and, and hardly able to process what has happened. It is a word to the person who is settled in their determination not to forgive, the person who is nursing a grudge and fostering a bitterness. And then we must hear Jesus who says, if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. very struck by this paragraph by Phil Riken. He says this, what does it mean to forgive our debtors? 
It means to forgive everyone for everything. Forgive the neighbor who backed over your begonias. Forgive the sibling who colored in your books and the parent who never showed you much affection. Forgive the spouse who doesn't meet your needs and the child who ran away from home. Forgive the co-worker who stabbed you in the back and the boss who denied your promotion. Forgive the church member who betrayed a confidence or the pastor who gave you poor spiritual care. Forgive people for whatever they have done to you. Now, there are so many avenues that we could profitably explore. We could explore the fact that, that it is absolutely proper to forgive someone while at the same time bringing them to justice for what they have done. We could talk about the fact that while we offer forgiveness, it must be received by the other person, and if it is not, then that is not our responsibility. There is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, for example. But I want us to keep thinking about the fact that Christians are those who are forgiving in the light of what God has done for them. Because Jesus reminds us of that basic truth every time we pray, he says. And you see, he, he, he loves us, and, and he knows that that for us to hold on to, to bitterness, which feels for us so natural, for us to hold on to bitterness is, is like us having a hip flask of poison that we sip at regular intervals through the day. Ultimately, it destroys us. Ultimately, it marks us out as unforgiven ourselves. Some of you, we're going to finish with this. Some of you will know this famous incident from the life of Corrie ten Boom. If you're a parent here or, or you've attended Kings Park Primary School, you may have gone and visited Corrie ten Boom's house in, in Holland. She, she and her sister were arrested for sheltering Jews from the Nazis during the war. They were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And Corrie ten Boom's sister, uh, Betsy, and her father died in the camp Corey herself was released through an administrative error. And she was a, a, a faithful Christian, and she spoke a lot about forgiveness after the war. And once she was addressing a meeting, and she noticed that in the crowd, one of the guards was there from Ravensbrook. And she had been speaking about, about forgiveness. It was her, it was her sort of fa favorite subject, and she loved to talk about how, how God would would take our sins and would cast them into the depths of the deepest ocean. It may have been her that spoke first about the, the no fishing sign that, that, that she imagined God putting there. And at the end of the meeting, she noticed this man who had been a guard and a particularly cruel guard. All sorts of images came into her mind. And he came to her at the end of the meeting. All the others filed out, and, and he came against the flow to her. And he said, sister, that was a great message. How good it is to know that, as you say, our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And he stretched out his hand, and she found herself hesitating. 
And he went on, he said, you mentioned Ravensbrook. I was a guard there. He clearly didn't remember her. But since that time, he said, I know, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from you too. Will you forgive me? And here's what she says in her own words. I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed ours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your, your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust out my hand to the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prison, prisoner. I have never known God's love so intensely as I did then, but even then I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, I tell you that story not to have you or me imagine what we would do in that situation because God gives particular graces for the situations that we're in. But I tell it to you to help you and me see what we should do in our situation, in your situation to help you see that it is as you do what God tells you to do, even though you may not feel it, it's then that God will help you. To help you see that the key to being the forgiving person that you're calling to be, that you're called to be, is, is to help you see how much you've been forgiven. Now, some of us hear that, and I know we, we think, this is so unnatural. And you know what it is. But we're not called to a natural Christian life. Many of us are trying to live a natural Christian life. We're only really doing the best of what the world does. And so the world looks at us and says, on a good day, I can be like them. Don't settle for a natural Christian life. Ask God to help you live the supernatural Christian life, a, a life that is filled with and marked by the Spirit of God, helping you be like the Lord Jesus Christ who said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus said, 
when you pray, say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Isn't God good? Isn't God good that he, he knows that the sin in our life that we would cherish if we were left to ourselves, that he says to us, bring it to me so that I can deal with it. And the bitterness that we would cherish, he says, write it off, forgive it, so that we can enjoy the life that my son died for you to have. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Let's pray together. I'm going to read some words of a, a prayer reflecting on these things we've been thinking about. Gracious and forgiving Father, how often we fail to show the same grace and forgiveness to others that you have given to us. We find it desperately hard to show forgiveness to our spouses and our friends, our parents and our children, our brothers and our sisters. Instead, we keep a precise record of the wrongs that they have committed against us. We cherish that record deep in our hearts and we use it against them in order to justify ourselves. We hold bitter grudges against others. We lash out in revenge at the slightest provocation. We're swift to anger and slow to forgive. Whether that anger overflows publicly in boiling rage or simmers quietly in the cold recesses of our hearts. Yet, Lord, you are not like us. Even though we have committed far worse sins against you, you do not keep a record of our wrongs. Instead, you separate our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. You deserve perfect obedience from us, for you are a holy and good God who has loved us profoundly. You planned and worked for our good even when we were your sworn enemies. Even now, whenever we rebel against you, you freely forgive us all of our sins for the sake of Jesus Christ, and you continually work all things together for our good. Help us today, tonight, to taste afresh your grace to us in the gospel and to see anew the depths of our sin that you have forgiven. Transform us by your grace so that we may become people who readily forgive others just as you have already forgiven us. May we truly learn to forgive those who sin against us and from the depths of our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.